This is Talking Events, a podcast series interviewing leaders in the business-to-business events industry. Event insights, career help, and discussing the changing face of events. Hi, my name is Charlie Phillips. I work at Caston Clark and I head up the media desk. Today, I'm going to be having a chat with Lynn Lester, who's the MD at The Drum. Lynn is known for having transformed The Drum's events business into one of the most successful. And she's going to be having a chat to me today about events and the changing workplace. Um, What advice do you wish you'd been given when you progressed into a management role? Boy, what good answer or a good question, should I say? So, I think for me, I think that the biggest thing in management that I didn't realise, maybe I wasn't told, was that you don't have to be perfect. So you kind of assume that management should be, you know, you have to have all the answers, you are like the king and queen of of everything. And actually that's not the case because you're just human. So you're learning all the time from your peers. I think I would have loved someone to tell me that, like don't take it too hard, don't take it personal. You're not perfect, you're gonna make mistakes. And actually that is okay, because if you've got good leadership, then that's absolutely fine. So I think that would have been probably, I would have hoped to have heard that, which I never, because when I went into management, I thought I had to know everything and I had to have all the answers. So that was a bit foolish of me. So I wish I had known that. Secondly, I think I wish I had been told about what I was in store for. So in management, you think, oh my God, it's great. I'm going to manage all these people. It's going to be so cool. And in actual fact, you end up doing a lot of tedious jobs. You do jobs that... You have to relinquish some duties that you love doing and you have to delegate in a way that you might not feel comfortable with but you have to do it. So I think it's being prepared to give up things that you love but you have to do it in order to be a good leader and a good manager. So I think I wish I'd been told that and also one of the other things might be, and, and not that I did this, but it was, you know, if you've had previous bosses and you see how other people manage, you don't have to be like everyone else. You can be you, you can be individual. Sometimes you get really crap bosses and you're like, oh my God. So my learning was, I do not want to be like you. So I think it's really important that people realize that and you just be you, you're individual, and you're learning as you go, we're all learning. So there's nothing mystique or magic in all of it. Awesome, perfect. and um, what if you could give someone who wants to take that step up into a management role three pieces of tangible advice they can action today to help get there what would that be so i mean there's multiple answers to this so if i was to condense into three tips they would probably be be you so do not change don't be a power hungry freak you you know you have to be original you have to be true to yourself i think some people get so embroiled and i'm a manager and i must be really strong and powerful and you know it's a beat people with a big stick and that is just fundamentally wrong as a human being so that would be my first thing do not let the power go to your head because that just makes you not a very nice person so number one number two would be do not feel intimidated to have really good people around you so sometimes when you get into management there's certain individuals that might think I'm not going to recruit them because they're going to look much better than me and I'm the manager and they can't be you know they can't have more knowledge than I but actually if you're a good leader you'll you'll recruit people who are very skilled people that can help you because everyone's your aides they're all here to help you do a better job so I I think you have to be a bit more realistic about who you bring in and just don't, don't feel threatened and the third thing might be that you have to start relinquishing as I said earlier some of the jobs 
that you maybe love. So you have to make your peace with the fact that your job description is going to be different. You're going to have to deal with really difficult situations and actually you see warts and all. So you have to be prepared to be a bit thicker skinned because it's really hard not to be emotionally involved. And I'm quite an emotional person. I find that very difficult. But for some people, I think it could be really critical in terms of their development. Perfect. Um, and what would you say is the hardest thing about being a people manager or leader? Oh my god, okay, so managing people opened your eyes because you just assume everyone is the same, but they are not. So I think you have to be very aware that what seems quite an immaterial thing to you is a really, really big deal to people. So you have to be very open-minded and you have to... I suppose navigate the world and your worldly wisdom in terms of, of what you come across because some people will be going through a really hard time and you hear things that really shock you and you have to be prepared for that because you know and I can't let away any secrets but there's certain things I've heard I think oh my god okay I, I didn't know that about this individual so yeah I think um, more the shock shock value and I also think it's you know it's really interesting particularly when you work with people who are millennials and for various gener generations, you know, they want things quicker, they're more impatient, and it's all about adapting your management style to make sure that you're bringing people through, so you're not holding people back, you've got, got opportunities for people, people can see a clear um, progression path. So it's thinking about all those things, because before when you're an employee, I mean, you're a bit selfish, everyone is, and you have to remember that people don't care what you think. So you, it can be quite lonely, so you have to be prepared, you have to, as I say, build a bit of a thicker skin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's really good that you mentioned the whole millennial thing because I think it is, like, how are you finding the retention of that just generally? Because I find everyone so varied in terms of, like, what yeah. what they're finding with it. Just, like, I've had people try and make it really flat and then other people try and make it lots of different titles and lots of... Sort yeah. of smaller increments like it's like what what are you finding yeah i mean it's really interesting so bearing in mind i work in different geographies london is very very different to scotland mm. so there's complete diversity right there so in london people are i mean i think it's natural anyway in london you're lucky if people will say maybe 12 to 18 months maybe 24 if you're lucky we've had people that have been there longer so touch wood they, mm. they stay with us but i do find that people are a lot more impatient the want to move very quickly and sometimes your company can't afford them you can't afford to pay people more money or mm. to completely diverse the business so I think you it depends on what you are in terms of a person but if you want to really build people and that's what really gives you a kick then I think you have to allow people to go I think you have to build people up I mean ideally you want to retain them and sometimes it's out with your means because maybe they want to try brand side or client side or whatever it might be so I think that is quite difficult I think also that you have to be prepared to have different metrics in place for a lot of people who are in the millennial age group. So people want to see, they don't want things that are kind of airy-fairy, this might happen. People really like to know where they stand. Okay, if we achieve this, this will happen. On a Friday, we all go for drinks at this time. Whereas I find that a lot of millennials want things set in stone. Whereas for my generation, it's probably like, yeah, but if it happens, fantastic. <laughs> oh, well, okay, we'll be rewarded here. But I think you have to be a lot more structured in your way. And I think, you know, millennials, rightly so, are very ambitious, which is great. My son is younger than that. And I know that he, I mean, to an extent, he thinks the world owes him. He's only 16. The world does not owe him. But he will get a shock, I'm sure, when he starts work himself. Yeah. <laughs>
a lot of the time with graduate recruitment it can be really really tough um okay cool and what would you say like from your experience of managing people managers what would you say the top three characteristics of people managers that you've worked with that have been successful okay i think people that remember who they are so people who, who remain very very grounded people who care about others who are not materialistic they're not selfish and they actually genuinely care about the views of other people so i think that kind of encapsulates lots of things but i, I kind of firmly believe that to be a good manager you have to be a great listener and you have to have empathy so you have to really understand the people you work with what motivates them because everyone's different so the way you speak to one person won't work with another so having that adaptability and that really personable mindset i think shows a great leader i also think someone that can share a vision someone that says okay this is where we want to get to in two years time this is how i see it happening this is your role in this this is how you will progress as a business, this is what's in it for you if it happens. And something that can create that kind of excitement is fundamentally very, very important. And thirdly, someone who can critique in the best way. So it's not nice to give people critique, particularly if it's bad critique, but people that can do it in a really motivational way, who can let you see your value and your worth. And I think if you combine all those three things together, I mean, there's tons of other things, but I think they're really, really important. Perfect. Um, and now onto the industry questions. So you can kind of answer this in relation to like whatever you feel adds the most value or is most specific to you. Because mm-hmm. some people are like, oh, should I talk about the like telecom sector, which is what I do, or like events or yeah, you know yeah, media. Yeah. Um, so what would you say are the biggest challenges facing the industry over the next twelve months? Okay, so in events in particular, I mean in any market, people are very easy to reach, but they're very difficult to engage. So the intention span is minute. So the most difficult thing I believe is really engaging people and giving and suppose addressing your USP up front so people know. I mean people don't care. You're a you're a corporate, you're a business and actually it's about getting underneath the bonnet very quickly to say, look, this is what's in it for you, this is why you have to be part of it, and this is a fundamental difference it will make to your life. So I would say that is definitely something and I think that's it's not a new thing, but it's something that we have to be mindful of. Given Brexit you know, there could be implications in terms of budget. So again, people are very conscious in terms of what they're spending, rightly so. So it's about making sure you're offering the best value. And I think a lot of it's climate or, or things that are out with our control, things that we have to, to just juggle and manoeuvre as we go. So yeah, I, mean, I would say those, for me, in terms of the economic climate, I think they're the most difficult. Perfect. Um, now, what do people working in our industry need to be doing to stay relevant and stay ahead of the curve? Yeah, so in events, I mean, in a publishing business, what we have to do is we have to showcase what our USP is in the market. So, for example, the drum firmly believes that we have to make life much easier for our marketers. So, for the people that read the drum, we have to make the decision making easier. So, by doing that, we cut through in terms of our events. So, if people win an award, we can tell our readers, look, these guys are great, this is the kind of stuff that they're doing, this is how you might tackle this brief, etc, etc. And fundamentally, the, the buyers will then hopefully invest in these kind of people that are doing great work. So by demonstrating your USP, I think people think, well, actually, I can see I can see the value in winning this. And it's about amplification, so the kind of human touch. So yes, the drum is a global business, but we're a very human business. So it's all about having that connection with your audience and taking the live event and amplifying it through lots of different ways and lots of channels. So really giving, I suppose, share a voice through our various platforms. 
Cool, perfect. And what exciting advancements are coming into play over the next 12 months and how are you responding to these? So it's a good question because things are happening all the time. So something like, for example, AI is really interesting, the, the various technology that's coming in. So at the drum we use what we call what's chatbot, but it's actually not a chatbot because it's operated by a human. So we, we've installed this so that people can find it really easy to engage with us, to ask us questions. People that cannot be bothered finding email addresses or phoning you. So what, what, what is actually really interesting about that is the person that operates it. People think it's operated by AI, it's actually a person as I say, and they don't believe half the things she tells them. So she'll say, they'll say when's the deadline, and she'll tell them the deadline or she'll tell them a price. But then they'll phone up a member of staff and say, I just want to check Christine was right because they think Christine's the AI you know machine so it's again that's really interesting so I suppose to answer your question how technology will influence and predict what we do in the market so again we're just keeping our uh, um, our finger on the pulse to see what's happening that's so fun. sorry I didn't want to comment like halfway through you talking on the thing but that is like so interesting so Christine spends her time being a customer service person, but everyone thinks she's not real, that she's an um, AI person. Yeah, yeah. And you make is, it more convenient and people don't believe that it's... Well, they don't so believe. No, so I, I had a workshop this morning and it was all about how you can win awards and how you might submit an entry and all the kind of hints and tips. And I was explaining to people, if Christine tells you an answer, <laughs> please believe Christine, because it's fundamentally very, very true. Yeah. But yeah, people, I don't think people trust computers. So we talk about AI, okay, we'll do this, that. But yeah, I mean, are people actually believing it? You know? People always seem to... One of the things that I've noticed is that it, it all became about all our events are going to be digital, it's all going to just be webinars, or it's all going to, and people don't yeah. actually want that. Like, even now, like, the things that people just generally are spending more money on are, like, more bespoke, more personalised, yes. one-to-one interactions, and that's yeah. what people are really going for. Like, things that engage them, but things, you know, that are, I don't know, like, quite niche. Like, I was talking to a client today and it's not like you know a change the world type sort of niche that they're working in but they would yeah. say that they're like the only person in their specific market that just connects investors to like tech yeah. companies or something and just talks about how they can make money and explains it and they're yeah. like everyone else it's more granular detail about this is so technical this is why you need to do it as opposed to just going this is the top line of it. <laughs> Go yeah. and meet them. And it's, I think that's, and you know, they do smaller, like people are doing smaller and smaller events, making things more and more targeted. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it's like gone the opposite way, almost. It's, it's funny. Yeah. No, it? I think you're fundamentally right. I mean, you know, what we're trying to find is that there's nothing that will ever replace a human to human contact. Mm. So people buy people fundamentally. And yes, tech can help and it can make an experience a bit more better and you can have VR or whatever it might be. But, fundamentally you have to have that personal touch and that's how the world I don't think I don't see that changing anytime soon but you have to make it really worth your while so you have to have the quality of people because mm. people are time poor they don't have lots of speed hours where they can attend things so that's what's going to be difficult in this industry it's staying relevant making sure that what you have the content is really on point and that people have a reason to leave the office so it's not like the days where you would have all your meetings in the pub Mm-hmm. some occasionally yeah. but you know it's not like a permanent thing so yeah I mean it's, it's just really interesting the world is moving but I actually also think technology is driving people to live events because you know how, how often do you hear about social media mm-hmm. affecting your mental health yeah. people want to get out they want to see the sky look at the trees and they want to meet people and they, look, they want to look in your eyes 
to, to trust you. Mm. Not everything's done. And that's probably why they don't trust Christine. Yeah. Because they think she's a robot. Well, <laughs> on a like, completely weird aside, one of my friends, Muni, he's a lovely, lovely guy. Um, very useless on the dating side. He's definitely getting <laughs> catfished at the moment. And I'm just oh, no. like, how do you not know that this is happening to you? But... I was trying to understand because he was like, oh yeah, no, we agree on the same stuff, we talk about moving in together, I was like, but you've never met her, so you've never had, I can understand technology for introductions, I could, I get all of yeah. that, and I know loads of people who use like Tinder and stuff like that, and they were like, oh, I've never actually had a date on it, it always is just like going to a pub, they're like, I've met loads of friends off it, That's so, funny. Um, so they were like, it's actually really fun from that yeah. perspective, because they usually know people that I know, so it's like making your circle bigger, um, but it's it's like I don't know. It's just like how can you tell someone's lying? How can you tell if you actually like engage with them? Yeah. How do you actually care about like even on the phone? It's better because on the phone you can kind of you hear a voice. Yeah, you can hear something. Like there's something yes. to connect with. You can't like like fall in love with like AI Christine, but in yeah. real life Christine, like oh Christine's awesome. You it know what I mean? Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. But yeah, it's weird. Um, okay, cool. So final section, which is definitely the best one. Um, what would you what would you say has been the most defining moment in your career so far? Oh my god, it's such a loaded question because I have tons of answers to that. So if I was to pin it down to one single thing in my life in terms of my career, would be so, so to put it in perspective, I am from a very working class background. I'm not from a privileged background. I, I went to a school that had boarded up windows kids that get into so much trouble. We hardly learned anything because it was really difficult because people were so disruptive in the class. My family weren't rich. I'm the youngest of seven children and we got by, but we weren't, certainly were not flashy. We didn't go on fancy holidays, didn't have a fancy house or a fancy car. So we just lived a very normal life and we were very happy. So coming from that background, fast forward several years and it's a, a nice sunny day. It's in, let me get them one right. I think it was in September, a couple of years ago, and I was walking down Broadway in New York. And I'm walking down and I'm looking at all the sites and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is, I don't think this can be, this cannot be real. This is, I'm actually here. And I was on my way to host a big award show. So I emcee a lot of our shows. And I was on my way to, to host an award show for several hundred people in America, in the Big Apple. So for me, I thought, I think, God, oh my God, this was amazing. I could never imagine it as a kid. Would I ever picture myself in New York? Absolutely never. Would I consider myself being in New York for work? No. Would I be hosting an event for several hundred people, very senior people? Absolutely not. And I think what was really a proud moment of that was my dad's a very big fan of New York. He'd never been, sadly, passed away. So for me, that was a real kind of, yeah, I've done it, Dad. I've done it. I'm, I'm here now. And also the fact that I had launched it, so, so the event that in question was one that I created, launched, worked with the team to market and really brought it up from scratch. So I think for me that, that was probably one of my kind of moments that I would bottle up and just keep forever. That's like definitely the best answer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's like really authentic and just, yeah, yeah lovely. Okay, cool. Um, um, what would you say are the one or two non-negotiables in your career? Okay, so... I, I think I'm now old enough and wise enough to know what I want out of an employer and out of the job that I do. So my first non-negotiable is I'm not going to move from Scotland. 
So I have proven, which very few people do, and which makes me really feel proud, badge of honour, is that I've been able to grow a very small business at the time into a global company from living in Scotland. And I don't have to live in London, and I don't have to live in New York or Singapore. I travel extensively, but I can have my life. I can be with my family, who are my most important treasure in the world. But I, I can make a really good job of what I do. So that would be my first non-negotiable. My second non-negotiable would be to never be anything that I am not. So to work with an employer that has my values at the heart of what they do. So we are not charlatans, we're not shysters, we're not out to con people. We want to do a good job, we want to build experiences, we want to give people a real opportunity to progress in their careers and to amplify what people are doing. So I think as long as it's staying true to my value, I would never have compromised that. My credibility means more to me than anything in this market. Perfect. And it's so interesting what you were saying about the sort of like wanting to be based where you want to base because I'm finding it so much, particularly like so this is like the upside of digital. Yeah. That you can do like for example like recruitment. Like when I worked for myself I yeah. just sort of worked out of anywhere and that was fine, that was really effective. I could like camp outside of clients like the coffee shop that the clients I wanted yeah. worked at and meet people. But then it's what I'm finding a lot is there are some jobs, yes, you do need to be around and I understand wanting to see people. Um, but I would get so many people saying, oh, no, I just wouldn't want anyone who's not in the office these particular hours. And it's almost like a lack of trust. And it's like, well, if you don't trust them to do it, should you hire them? Like, yeah. because you can't sit over the, like, I, I don't know. Not. It's so weird, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think it's really backward thinking. So in a modern world to... I mean, it is, everywhere is geographically neutral, unless there's something that you have to be there. So if you're caring from cats and dogs, you might have to be there to look after them, absolutely. Yeah. But in our kind of industry, I mean, I think that's a lot of bullshit, to be quite honest. Yeah. I think you could be based anywhere in the world and do your job. So when I go to Singapore or to New York, people will say to me, oh my God, how are you settling in? How's it going? And I'm like, I don't even live here. <laughs> but people just assume. So I think as long as you've got someone that's prepared to put in the hard graft, they're prepared to travel, because bearing in mind when people travel, they're sacrificing their life at home to give you as a corporation. So actually that surely should be valued a little bit more. Mm. You know, because they're going to work longer hours, they're going to work harder, and they yeah. really have more to prove. And I think from being based up north, we do have that mentality because nothing is ever handy to, to you in a plate. So, and I think for employers not to see that, I think that's really silly. Yeah, no, 100%. So do you do a lot of remote working at your company? Yeah, so I am based primarily in Glasgow. I say primarily, I'm probably never there to be <laughs> honest. So I work from home sometimes, I work from the Glasgow office. I'm in London more often than I care to even talk about. I'm in London all the time, which I love it because I guess still feel like I'm a tourist. And I go to Singapore and to New York. So they're the kind of, they're the kind of main destinations that I'll travel to. But I'm prepared to do that. So for me, it's about give and take. So my employers trust me fully. They don't keep a clock on where I'm at. And we get the job done and we all work together. Because it's very obvious you're very open and isolated if you're not doing a good job. Yeah, and it's also results, like, a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> That's, you know, yeah. Okay, cool. And um, what advice do you have for those watching this video who are really passionate about doing great things in this industry? Okay, so my first thing would be, so it goes back to, I suppose, my background. So never believe that you can't do it. Sometimes you think, oh, my God, that's so much bigger than I could ever achieve. No, that's not true. You, you believe that. So if you believe that, that's what will happen. 
So one is you've got to trust in yourself. If that's what you want to do, then find a pathway to make it happen. Get as much work experience as you can get because no one's going to give it to you. So you have to, sadly in this day and age, it might be doing free placements, it might be whatever, you know, if I'm thinking of you're a student and you're wanting to come in for the first time, you have to really be prepared to give something up to get the experience. I would say um, self-learn. So it's up to you to learn about things. So read a lot, listen to TED Talks. I listen to TED Talks all the time. I love doing that. It's really easy in the car. It's not a problem. So I would say educate yourself. Network in the right places. Get yourself where all the senior decision makers are. So find it where they're going. And if you, I bet you any money if you found and sought out the key people in the industry and you mingled in that environment, you're going to get really far because actually the fact that you've put the effort in to do it and it's all about people again it comes back to this people looking people in the eyes if you chat to people they like you they see potential then and it's also word of mouth so yes I would say just be a bit smarter and also stand out because everyone wants to do it I think really bad if we get graduate applications there's tons so I tend to do group interviews so that people get a chance and a share of voice but it's not always easy and you're always looking for that person. I don't really care about your qualifications. I don't care if you've degree, got degrees coming out of your ears, but what I care about you as a person. And even if you don't have skills, well, we can probably work in that. Awesome. And um, final question, how should people pick their next role or company? I suppose it really depends on what you want out of life. So I'm very conscious that in London it's an auction market. So I do find that people will go from employer to employer to, to maybe up the states and their salary and whatever else in their careers and that's absolutely fine because that's what they want, maybe money is maybe the driver. For people similar to me, what I would say is find a company that meets your expectations as a person, someone that shares the same values, a place where they have empathy. So you don't want to work for people that are horrible people because actually it's reputation by association. You want to work with good people where you see the opportunity to grow, to develop, to build a business. So sometimes underdogs are really good because a bit like the drum, you know, when I started there, it was really, really tough and now everybody knows us globally, which is amazing. But it's, I sometimes have to pinch myself and think, oh my God, people actually know who we are and I know they do. So I think having that kind of underdog mentality is really good for people. But again, it all depends on what people want out of an employer. But I would say, yeah, stick to your guns. Be realistic in terms of, of their values, objectives, and just be true to yourself. The, the worst thing you can do in this industry is try and be something that you're not, because A, you're going to get caught out, B, you're not going to be that happy, and it's false economy. So just be happy, I would say. Talking Events is brought to you by Castleton Clark, a business-to-business -business events recruitment agency. Thanks again to Lynn Lester from The Drum for coming in to speak with me. Just be happy. What a fantastic piece of advice. It was honestly just so refreshing chatting to Lynn. She has such a great energy about her and I really get the feeling that that energy filters down not only into how she approaches her role, but also to her wider team. I absolutely loved her story about New York. It must have been such a great moment for her and was just really inspiring. Thanks again, Lynn, and what a great start to the Talking Event series. Agree? Disagree? Or have something to add? We would love to hear from you. Please email any comments to charlie at castletonclark.co.uk. Subscribe to Talking Events now and never miss an episode.